Uh, 1 Timothy 1, uh, and we're going to be starting in verse 8, all right? Uh, and just to recap again where we're at, all right, uh, Paul, the veteran warrior of the faith, he is uh, encouraging uh, Timothy, a young disciple of his who is in a hostile territory, and he's finding himself in the really the fight of all fights because the what the what's at stake is not only Timothy's own heart but the heart of the gospel, and uh, it's under attack by these false teachers. And today we're going to be looking at the law of God. And when I think of the law of God, uh, I'm going to embarrass him here in just a minute. But uh, we were at a parade, all right, and uh, you've all been to parades before, right? All right, they throw candy out, and that's the whole reason why we go to parades. Uh, and we were at a parade, and I think Kyler was maybe five, maybe six. Trying to think of what. Anyways, he was younger, right? And the candy's getting thrown out, and he gets keeps getting further and further out because these people apparently were too scared to throw the candy, so they kept just like dropping it. So he's trying to get out there to get as much candy as possible. All right, and. Uh, and he was getting out there a little bit too far. I was like, hey, you need to get draw back. And finally, I saw this squished like Tootsie Roll, all right, that somebody had stepped on. I said, hey, you see that Tootsie Roll right there? Yeah. Don't go past that, all right? That was the simple rule, right? Don't go past that Tootsie Roll. So what does this five, six-year-old Kyler do? He picks it up, and he moves it. <laughs> he keeps moving it. So he's always behind the Tootsie Roll, right? But he's, But he's... Getting further and further out. So, so here's the where it comes to God's law. This is oftentimes what happens is, is there's the letter of the law, all right, and then there's the spirit of the law. Kyler was obeying the letter of the law, right? He he understood that this is what I'm calling you to do is stay behind this tootsie roll. So he stood behind it, but he kept moving the tootsie roll, all right. But uh, the spirit of the law was. For your own protection, I need you to stay back and not keep going out further in the road because otherwise that float is going to hit you. All right. So, this is where Paul finds himself, is that the false teachers are using uh, genealogies and they're, they're taking God's law and they're, uh, they're twisting it around to their own benefit. And here's what Paul says. He says, we know that the law is good when used correctly. All right? So, there's a purpose of the law, all right? And, and it's good. And we need to understand that. And what he's doing is he's not arguing for the correct uh, Christian use of the law. Instead, he's pointing out their folly, that they're using the law at all because the law actually will convict them. But they're trying to use it to justify their actions. Uh, So it it goes on and it says, The purpose uh, for the law was intended for people who do, uh, was not intended for people who do what is right. Is for the people who are lawless and rebellious. All right, we're gonna. I'm gonna stop there before we go on. So, how is the law good? All right, let's first establish that the purpose of the law was not to approve the conduct of the righteous, but to expose and condemn that of sinners and to show that all are sinners. All right, but there's usually two types of people. There's those that want to push the envelope. Uh, and then there's those that they want to know the rules. They want to be the rule followers. So you tell us what it is, and, and we're going to do it. So how is God's law good? All right. God, uh, in Galatians 3:23 uh, through chapter 4, verse 7, it, it talks about how God's law actually puts a restraint on sin. This is for those that are the rule followers. All right. Oh, I'm not supposed to do that? Okay, that's good to know. I won't do that. All right. I'm not supposed to drink that bleach. All right, that's good to know. You know, it's those type of laws that are at play. But then there's also those that uh, in Romans 7, 
uh, 7 through 25, it exposes the sinner's desperate sinfulness. It also it exposes who we really are. Um, think of it, the law has different facets, all right? The law is like a mirror, all right? You look in the mirror, or maybe you're taking that selfie before you change all the filters on it, uh, and it can show you the problem, right? It can show you, you look in the mirror and you can say, oh man, there's a new zit, all right, I got to deal with that. It can, it can show you, but it can't fix the problem, all right? You, it simply just reflects whatever you're looking at. And that's kind of when we come up to the law, we look at ourselves and it's a mirror. It reflects back to us and we see ourselves for who we really are. It's also kind of like a window, all right? And a window allows us to see through. So the law, it reflects back at us and helps us see where we're at and the problem, but it's not able to help fix it. But it also shows us into the heart of God, all right? It shows the precept, and then we look at that, we look at the principle, and that tells us about the person. So do not steal. That's the precept. The, the principle here is to not be a, a taker, but a giver. So God must be a giver, all right? So law is a window as well. Probably one of my, the other parts of what a, uh, the law is that it's like a spotlight, right? If you're in the dark, you don't know where everything's at, and then you need something to be able to see. What is the problem, all right? I'm, I'm, I, something's wrong with my car. I'm trying to figure out what the issue is, and so I'm, I'm in there, and what I need is a light, right? So, so we got the light, the spotlight. It all of a sudden says, hey, this is the problem. It puts the spotlight on it. And so, here, you need blinded. <laughs> yep. So, uh, it is the spotlight. And it's not, it's, it's basically trying to find the problem. And it, it shows us that the problem, it exposes it for what it really is. And it's the sin in us. And so, the law shows God's demands. And then it also shows our need for salvation. So, as it's as we're looking through all these laws, just even the Ten Commandments, but then there's 600 more commands and laws that God gives. And when we look at all those, it's, it, it's a mirror. It reflects back to us, but it's not able to help us. It's a window that allows us to see into the heart of God, but it's also a spotlight. And it helps us realize, oh, I'm the problem. All right. Uh, another way of thinking of it is kind of like a CT scan. All right. It shows the sickness. It scans us, and it, as we go under ex- examination, it shows, hey, there's, this, there's a problem in here. And so then it leads us, well, how do we fix it? And so many will just try, well, we just got to try harder, all right? And then others are like, well, might as well just give up. And that's where uh, Paul continues on in verse 9. He says, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right, all right? If I don't have... And what he's meaning here is that those that have that inclination to murder, all right, that's where the law is for. For those that are just peace, love, and happiness, you know, type thing, and we never have that angry, hateful thought, we don't have any murder inclinations in us, that that law doesn't apply to us as much, all right? Now, if we break it, it applies, right? But we don't have that intention. And that's what he's talking about, is that there's, there's those that are intended. And he says, it's for people who are lawless, rebellious, all right? These are the mob, the looters, all right, the, that are out protesting, all right, the injustice by breaking more laws. Uh, this, is, uh, this is where we saw the whole 2020, 
the, all the mobs and looters and everything like that, they were lawless. That is lawlessness. When you see them burning buildings and, and cars and destroying property, it is pure lawlessness, and they do it in the name of justice, but really they're just breaking more laws. And he goes on and says, uh, it's for uh, who are ungodly and sinful, all right? Those are who care nothing for human law. They, they, they uh, show contempt on stuff that should be sacred, all right? Uh, and defile what is holy, all right? They consider, those who consider, uh, sorry, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, all right? So, it's very interesting here. He's kind of setting up as we go on. You're going to look. There's actually a very good parallel between the Ten Commandments and what Paul's listing out here. He's first these first three things categories kind of look at the first three or four commandments about you should have no god uh, other than God and you shouldn't take His name in vain. Those uh, those commandments. And I this one about. Uh, cons- who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy. I always think about Daniel 5, uh, where uh, the king is uh, Babylon is now, uh, the new king is coming, and he's having a grand old party. I mean, it's a very naughty party, all right? Uh, the women are not wearing clothes like they should. I mean, it's, it's a naughty party. And he goes, you know what? Uh, let's, get it, let's take it up a notch. Go get the, all the all the uh, stuff that we took from the temple in Jerusalem, and then let's bring it here, and we're going to use it to drink our wine out of and, and just continue to have a good time. And then all of a sudden, God writes on the wall, uh, and, and then they call in Daniel because he, he's seizing this hand, right? And he's like, what does that mean? And, and Daniel says to him, he's like, hey, you've been weighed, and you've been found wanting, and the kingdom tonight is going to fall. And at the time that Daniel's actually speaking that, little did they know, there was an invading army that was tunneling under the walls of Babylon, and within hours after Daniel gave that message, Babylon had fallen. Uh, but what uh, I always think about this, using the unholy things, and they just disgrace it, and they, the nothing is sacred. That's what he did, is he took something that was supposed to be holy, it was set apart for God's purpose, and he used it in an unholy way. Uh so, he, and he goes on uh, to listing on. He goes, he goes, he says, uh, they're for those who kill their father and mother, all right? And you might be like, oh, that's good. I, I haven't killed my mother or father. I, I'm good there. This doesn't apply to me. But again, Ten Commandments, what does it say? You should honor your father and mother, right? All right? And then moving on, he kind of accompanies it with this. He also says, all right, uh, he says, or commit other murders, okay? So they, they're for those who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. Now, what did Jesus say, all right? This is the thing, is that it, the, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. And there's a difference, let's get this straight. There's a difference in killing and murder. And there, uh, killing is killing of a, person that's innocent, all right? Or no, killing is someone of, of killing someone that is guilty, uh, and, and so that means that there is justified killing. Uh, the government has the authority to put someone to death, all right? Capital punishment. Uh, there is justified war, all right? Someone that goes to war, they are, and a justified reason, they, they, they are justified in following out those duties. There's a difference between killing and murder, and our society likes to blur that line. Murder is when you kill an innocent person. 
So, abortion is a murder. All right? Uh, when if someone uh, that is innocent and that goes in and just shoots up the school, yes, they are, uh, you can get into the whole thing if you want to about, well, there's nobody that's perfect, blah, 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 they're, we're all guilty. I get that. But they haven't actually done something to you, all right? I'd be more justified if someone breaks into my house to defend my family, I'm justified if I have to kill that person. Now, if I go into somebody else's house and kill them, that's murder. You see the difference, all right? So there is a difference. All right, but Jesus, here's the thing. Everybody says, oh, I love grace, you know, and we have this concept that grace lowers the standard. It actually raises it. Jesus says, you know what? When you're angry with someone, that's murder. So you might have said that you never killed your father and mother. How many of you have ever been mad and hated your mother and father? Yeah. So in that case, we are, we are guilty, all right? We are guilty of murder, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. As he goes on, he says, it's for uh, the laws for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality. All right? Uh, your version might say adultery or perverts. Uh, this is, thou shall not commit adultery. All right? Sex is designed for one, and I, sorry, I have to even say this nowadays, biological man and a one biological woman in marriage, all right? Uh, it is in anything outside of that is perverting God's design. So homosexuality, pedophilia, trans, all of that is a, it is a slap in the face of God and it's the sexual perversion that scripture constantly is talking against, all right? Jesus, though, and you might be like, well, I've not done that. I'm good type thing. Jesus takes it a step further and says, if even when you have lust, it's like committing adultery. It's like going ahead and doing the act. See, he takes it a step further. Uh, he goes on and says uh, that these are for slave traders, all right, or yours might say kidnappers uh, and liars, all right. So, kidnappers, slave traders, thou shall not steal. All right, so you, when you were stealing to the slave traders, they would kidnap. They were stealing a person, all right? This, is, this includes our, the kidnapping still happens today, sex trafficking, treating anyone as property instead of, the God, uh, instead of a person that's made in God's image. That's what's talking about here. And it's usually very evil, all right, that surrounds that type of thinking, and it's motivated by greed. And, and Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6 about you can't serve two masters, and he called us to, have, uh, to uh, following God's kingdom. And he goes on and says uh, also that these are liars, promise breakers, all right? So these are, uh, in the Ten Commandments, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, all right? And Jesus, he says in Matthew 5, 33-36, let your yeses be yes and your noes, noes. Don't have to, you shouldn't have to add any more to that because you're a person of character, you're trustworthy. People know that when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. All right? So, so Paul is laying it out here, and if you think, oh, good, I got off the hook. Then he says this caveat, and those who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Oh, man, almost this close to getting off the hook type thing, right? Uh, this, anyone else, this is the catch-all. And, the, and, and starting with our next chapel, 
We're, this is what we're going to use as our kind of springboard as we look at this and looking at the framework of uh, the false teaching that's arising in our day with the critical theory and the rising religion of wokeness that's coming within the church even. And so we're going to take some time and look at this, but I want to take some time just looking at that verse, the wholesome teaching, or your version might say sound doctrine. All right, This only appears in the first and second Timothy and Titus, uh, and, it, and what it is, it conforms to God's message of salvation. It begins with this repentance and forgiveness, and it's God's revelation which directs us into proper response to Him. But it's also the wholesome teaching, the sound doctrine there. It's actually a medical metaphor all right, that Paul uses. It's kind of unique to Paul. It's referring to a healthiness or health producing, because the Christian faith isn't just about uh, fire insurance and going to heaven, all right? It's, it's more than that. The, the Christian faith, it starts right now. It affects everything that you do. So it's an assurance, all right? It, it, it completely renovates the person. It changes the person. They, they no longer are recognized by the world, by their old friends. And, uh, and it affects every part of our lives. It, it changes our desires, all right? All of a sudden, the desire to play more video games lessons and we want to spend more time in God's word. That shows that God's, the, the wholesome doctrine is starting, uh, good news is taking effect and God's changing your desires. He changes the way that we think of him and our desires change as well. And here's the thing, every part of the life changes. They, there are more and more, here's, I've told you guys before that God says it and then usually science catches up. They've actually done studies showing that, hey, if you forgive, there is massive health benefits to forgiving, like Jesus said. Uh, your blood pressure goes down, uh, your stress level. I mean, they've, they've done the massive looks at if those that hold on to that bitterness and just, no, I'm not going to forgive. It, it actually is killing them, literally. It, it, that their blood pressure's up, their heart, the stress of it all. I mean, it's, it's constantly boiling there. But then those that forgive, like Jesus says, it, it actually changes them uh, health-wise. Other stats also prove that if you, four days a week, all right, and they've looked at, there's minimal change if you read your Bible, all right, for your own benefit, for your own time. If one to two times a week, very little benefit. But when you start moving into four days a week, you are 57% less likely to get drunk. You're 59% less likely to view pornography. You're 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. And you're 74% less likely to gamble. Because why? Because the more time you're, you're spending time in this, it gets into you, and God starts changing your desires. This is that wholesome teaching that's taking place. And God starts changing the human behavior, all right? So the wholesome teaching, the sound doctrine, it accompanies everything of our lives. And this is good news. I love this. He says, the, the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news. What is that good news? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we look at Matthew 5, all right? Matthew 5, Jesus actually said, before he gets into all this thing, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach the others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he, he, that's when he then goes in and says, hey, listen, you got to take it beyond what the Pharisees are saying. All right, He's saying, I have fulfilled the law. 
All right? That's the good news. He fulfilled the law so that we don't have to. We can live by grace, and when we live by grace and in this gratitude, it's going to change everything that we do. And the Holy Spirit is, was in Jesus, is in us. It's, he is moving us. He's, he's aligning us more with God. All right? and, and we're going to be more in tune with the spirit of the law instead of the letter of the law. All right? uh, whereas we see the healthy teaching that it's going to produce this positive behavior. The heretics, it, it, as they see here, it makes the controversy and division, arrogance, strife, and everything like that. It's all about Jesus. That's the good news. We're saved by Jesus for Jesus. And I love this whole, when I think of the healthiness of the gospel, I automatically think of one of my favorite stories, all right, uh, out of Matthew, Matthew 9. All right, Jesus, the story is, is that Jesus is walking along and he sees the tax collector, Matthew. All right, we've all heard the story. And he says, all right, Matthew, come follow me. The tax collectors were absolutely despised by the Jews because they were traitors, all right? The way that you would become a tax collector is that the, you would go to the Roman government and say, all right, listen, this is how much money I'm going to bring to you for the government, all right? They, they said, this is how much money at the end of the year, this is how much money I'm going to bring. And the highest bidder won, all right? And they're like, sweet, you're going to give us the most money, the job's yours. And you as the tax collector then can, uh, you got to make sure that you can get Rome their cut, but then the way you make your living is you tax even more. So after Rome gets their cut, anything extra after that, you get to pocket that. That's all yours. So these, and the people knew that they were getting ripped off. They knew this, and they're like, you're working for the Romans, the pagans, all right? And so they, they knew this, they knew they were getting ripped off, and yet they, did it. they had to do it because Rome was standing behind them like, hey, he said you got to pay your taxes, you got to pay your taxes, all right? So, but when you would leave the table, all right, if you decided, you know what, I'm done, there was no going back, all right? There was no like, oh, I made a bad decision, I actually need to get back to, nope. You had your chance and you blew it. So when Matthew gets up from that table and follows Jesus, there is no turning back for Matthew. That's it. It's a done deal. He is sold out to Jesus. And so what does he do? This is a natural reaction. When you come to meet Jesus, you have a party. All right? That's just the natural reaction. So Matthew invited all of his friends. And he didn't have the, the religious leaders all right, at his friends. He, he says here that many din- dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other I love this, dis, uh, disreputable sinners, all right? The scum of the earth, basically, is what it's saying. But then here's the thing. Pharisees come along. They see this party going on. Do they go to Jesus? No. They go to his disciples, and they're like, hey, why is, why is your, the guy that you're following, why is he hanging out with such scum? All right, that's the word that they use. Why is he hanging out with such scum? And Jesus says, uh, don't worry about them, boys. I got them. And he, he, and he steps in. He's like, I know you were talking to them, but you're actually talking to me, so this is the way it's going to go. And he goes, listen, the healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to follow mercy and not sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He's saying, listen, you guys think you know the law, but the law is pointing towards me. And you need to recognize the diagnosis. You need to take a look at your CT scan and realize that you are a sinner. You need a Savior, and I'm Him. And if you can't recognize that, I can't help you. And that's why I love this, because He came 
for sinners. And that's great news for you and me. Because why? Because we're sinners. This is the good news. And he completely, if we come and confess to him, he completely changes us. And he changes our desires. And he starts changing our life right now. And we can echo with Paul, like he said, Jesus came uh, in verse uh, 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. We all feel that way at times, is that I'm the worst of them all, and that's why we're so thankful for Jesus.